All right. Well, thank you for joining us on uh, this episode of the Freed Thinker uh, podcast and vlog. Uh, now, as I'm starting up this channel, thank you all again for tuning in. Uh, I am joined today uh, by uh, Osmandius Ramesses the second. Do you mind if I call you Ozzy? It's no, please call me. Yeah, <laughs> call me Ozzy. Everyone call me Ozzy. No. I, I didn't. I didn't know. You know, this is our first time talking in. You know, not in text. So I was like, is that too? Too casual, too informal. So yeah, uh, <laughs> Mr. Sure. That's Mr. Ozzy to you, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mr. Ozzy. Okay. Um, so thank you, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Um, I'm in kind of a weird setup uh, because someone else is using the room I'm normally in, so I have to do headphones, and it's uh, different. But uh, thank you, uh, thank you for coming on. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself before we jump in? Sure. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me on. I'm delighted to have this conversation. I've been watching some of your content and seeing your contribution uh, on various Facebook pages, and um, I, I've been liking what I've been, been seeing, even though we're obviously on the opposite sides of the fence on the issue of uh, the existence of God and, and uh, the role of religion in Christianity. Uh, nevertheless, I, I, I like your content. Um, so my name is Ozymandias Ramsey's the, the second. Everyone calls me Ozzy. I'm a YouTuber. I live in Canada. I'm 55 years old. Um, my background is in contemporary analytic philosophy. My area of specialization uh, was epistemology and the philosophy of language with a collateral interest in um, the philosophy of mind. And uh, I started making YouTube videos about uh, the great debate around 2014. Uh, I'm not a, um, a prolific producer of YouTube videos. I make them very, very frequently. Uh, and sort of the way I got my feet wet uh, in all of this was um, presuppositionalism. Um, the presuppositional stylings of Saiten Bruggenkate um, had sort of caught on. Uh, and uh, I saw a lot of my fellow atheists sort of struggling to address a, a purely philosophical, uh, not an empirical or classical approach to apologetics. And they, they were sort of stumbling all over themselves trying to confect counter arguments <laughs> that I thought were wholly ineffective because they didn't understand presuppositional apologetics. Um, they, uh, so I, I just introduced myself into that, that discourse by making content on that and the uh, channel grew fairly quickly uh, from, from there. Uh, and then I kind of tailed off. I don't, I don't make much content uh, anymore and I do make content now again on a variety of subjects, but primarily my interest at the time was um, presuppositional apologetics. Okay. Well, good. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you again for, for coming on and joining. Um, I don't know. Is the is the the Canadian philosopher uh, guild very big? Like, if I if I name someone, would you would you possibly know them? Um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I am not. Well, let me let me qualify something here. I don't want anyone to come away from uh, hearing this uh, or seeing this under the impression that I am a, a professional philosopher. I'm not. I was an aspiring philosopher, so I went to grad school. Um, yep. I had the privilege of teaching undergraduates when I was in grad school, uh, but I am I. Uh, I'm not a professor. I lectured in philosophy, but I am not a professor. Um, I uh, did not complete my doctorate. Uh, I'm not published in the field, so I, I do not in any way consider myself a, a philosopher. I am someone who 
aspire to be a philosopher and I have an abiding interest in philosophy. Uh, but yeah, I'm in touch with some philosophers and I know a, a lot of philosophers sort of on a personal basis. I used to attend conferences and, and so forth. Uh, so yeah, you yeah you might you might in, know in my else. yeah in my in my undergrad um, I uh, Andrew Botterell uh, I think he's a legal philosopher. Oh um, yeah. Was um, he he graduated from MIT um, uh, and uh, he he was uh, one of the one of the more influential uh, professors that I had in uh, in in uh, my philosophy studies. Um, he taught. Uh, I actually had him for metaphysics and ethics and uh, my my first uh, two semesters in uh, symbolic logic and, and things like that. So um, hmm. I, I have I have, uh, you know, I, I have I have great affinity for for Canadian philosophers. Oh, um, <laughs> so do I. Actually, I'm afraid <laughs> the name is not familiar to me. If, you, if his area of specialization was political philosophy or legal philosophy, I wouldn't know it. That was really outside of my uh, yeah. my bailiwick. So Got I don't know too many okay. people in that area. Well, uh, so let's 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 dive in to um, the actual. You know, I wanted to try to cover two topics. Um, these have been areas where, in the unbelievable group, you and I have had um, some some conversations, um, and and strangely, for a lot of um, atheists and and Christians as well, they're somewhat surprised that you and I, or you myself, and someone like uh, you know Benjamin Watkins tend to be on the same side in some of these discussions. Um, are you sure you're not a covert Catholic? Uh, are, you, are, you, are you positive, uh, uh, like no. a private Protestant or anything? No, 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 I, I, I'm an atheist through and through. Uh, I should say a little bit about my background. I, I grew up um, in a Jehovah's Witness household. Um, and uh, so that was the, I was not myself a Jehovah's Witness, but I, that was the religious instruction of, of my household. I tumbled out of my faith in my late teens and early adolescence. I, became, I sort of meandered away from, from Jehovah's Witness uh, religion to some kind of uh, vague uh, Christianity and then into a kind of theism. And then just I was on the fence. I was undecided about the existence of God. So I was just I was an agnostic. And then at some point I, I became convinced that, no, that there's just no God. This is these are all made up. Uh, and uh, so I became an, an atheist, and I self-identified as an atheist probably since the age of I don't know, eighteen or nineteen. Um, so I am an atheist. I uh, I don't practice any religion. I don't <laughs> secretly harbor some wish that there exists uh, a god or anything like that. Um, so no, uh, it just I am sort of on the opposite fence uh, side of the fence of a lot of people in movement atheism or online atheist activists who who defend a certain um, what I think is a uh, a loose definition of atheism as the lack of a belief in any god or gods, uh, as opposed to uh, the traditional understanding of that word, uh, which for centuries in all modern languages has meant the view that there is no god. It's the, the positive assertion that there is uh, no god. It's not the knowledge that there is no god, it's just the belief that there is no god. And so I'm an atheist in that sense. I think that there aren't any gods. Uh, and I think that, of course, that being a claim about reality, um, implies that one has a burden of justification. One has to have reasons for thinking that something doesn't exist. Uh, just as if I thought climate change wasn't real, or if I thought the Holocaust never happened, or if I thought dinosaurs didn't exist, or uh, if I think that the Batmobile isn't in my garage, I have to have reasons that I need warrant for those beliefs. Especially right. if, I feel, if I believe in those propositions very strongly, then I, I would need more warrant. And so that's, that's the sense in which I'm an atheist. Uh, I don't. I don't mince words about it. Right. Okay. So, 
for for those for those who are listening, um, you know, let, let's let's. I always want to say this from from the very outset and 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 see what your thoughts are on it, <clears throat> because usually the accusation comes around at some point. And you can kind of tell, like, oh, you just you haven't actually listened to what we're saying. Uh, same thing happened with uh, in, in my debate with with Eric. Same thing happened uh, with Ben in his debate with uh, with Tom. Um, is that uh, and and I, and I you know I think I think we've talked enough to know this is that we're not saying um, that there is um, uh, that atheism being defined as kind of that autobiographical lack of belief is not a def is not a usage of the term right we're, we're, we're not saying you can you know that that that's a that's an imaginary definition you're just making crap up like that that that's that's one use of the term um the the question i think that that you are getting at is well what's the what's the most reasonable use of the term uh if you're gonna if you're gonna apply it to the subject and 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 take it upon yourself um you know how 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 should we to to clearly communicate and and i think uh you would say effectively communicate um what type of of terminology should we should we or what type of concept should we be should we be freighting that term with yeah, so um, the, um, I mean, a lot of people think that as soon as you start having this discussion about the definition of atheism, um, that you're just, you're just uh, quibbling and it doesn't matter. I think it's actually fairly consequential because uh, it, it implies certain things about what burden of justification that, that you carry. Um, and burdens of justification are incurred on the basis of what you think is true of reality. It doesn't matter what label you wear and how you define something uh it's what is the content of your belief what is it you think about the existence of god you think that god exists or not or are you undecided right um are you of the conviction that god exists and that it's noble and that you know it or are you uh um of the view that god doesn't exist and you think you can prove that and that you know it for a fact or are you of the position such as i am i'm a provisional atheist i think that um that um, there are better reasons for thinking that there isn't a God than that there is. It's not a certitude that there's no God. Um, so uh, that incurs a burden of justification. So really what's uh, what's at stake here is burden of justification. That's why I'm interested in the, in the entire uh, question of the definition of atheism. It isn't because I think that there is one definition that is sort of uh, uh, artificial uh, or anything like that. Uh, it is true that the traditional definition of atheism in modern languages has been the view that it is the belief that there, there exists no God. Okay, that is a positive claim. That has been the traditional definition for centuries in all modern languages. Uh, and there is now a, a sort of a, 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 a more modern, newfangled definition of atheism as identical to non-theism, which is an, a much older term. Um, and uh, it goes back to about the 1850s or something. Uh, so uh, a lot of people in the online atheist uh, movement have wanted to uh, move away from the traditional definition and embrace the definition of atheism as merely meaning the lack of belief in a god or gods. And that would include agnostics who are undecided. You know, those aren't people, I mean, I have nothing in common with an agnostic, really. I mean, an agnostic lacks a belief in God, and so do I, right? Um, but that's, that's, that's as far as we go. I happen to think that there aren't any gods. It's more likely that there are no gods. An agnostic is not going to be prepared to affirm that. An agnostic is really inconclusive. It's undecided. Right? They might, they might, and it's not a 50-50 thing. They just might think that there are some good arguments for God and some good counter arguments uh, against that, and they just can't make up their mind. 
um, <clears throat> and that's a respectable uh, position to be in. It's just not my position. So um, uh, the, uh, the this sort of modern definition that I have termed black theism um, to distinguish it from traditional uh, atheism, I think is not the best definition um, to uh, to be operative in discussions of this sort. And it's for the following reason. Um, when people adopt a label, um, um, any kind of ism, for instance, it's usually so that uh, so as to make it clear what their position is on, on a particular thing. Right. So it doesn't matter if it's a political debate and you're talking about capitalism or Marxism or you know whatever. Um, you want people to understand what your position is. You don't want to just subsume yourself under some huge, large umbrella. And that's the difficulty I see with the lack theist uh, definition of atheism, or atheism as lack of belief, or atheism as equivalent to non-theism, is it includes people like me, and Matt Dillahunty, and Aaron Ra, and, uh, and so forth, but it also is going to include uh, countless th thousands, possibly millions of people who are literally undecided, um, uh, and, uh, you know, agnostics, right? So they're going to be subsumed under that level. Then there are people such as theological non-cognitivists. These are people who think that the the question of God's existence isn't even meaningful. They they they, they think the proposition God exists, or and the proposition God doesn't exist, or the proposition maybe God exists. That these are pseudo propositions. They're not propositions at all. Like all God talk is nonsense. Those people don't. They are not atheists. Those people think that atheists and theists and agnostics are all out to lunch. They they think that they're they're talking sense, but the entire discourse is nonsense. It is incoherent. It is li literally meaningless prattle. Those people should not be subsumed under the heading of atheism because it's confusing. So if you have a definition of atheism as the mere lack of belief or absence of belief or something like that, what you're doing is you're subsuming a huge number of people that have incompatible views on the questions of God's existence um, and uh, putting them together. And so if I identify as an atheist, and by atheist, I would mean I merely lack the belief. Then that beggars the question, well, do you actually think, Ozzy, that there's no God? Or are you undecided? Are you on the fence? Or are you a theological non-cognitivist who thinks that, you know, God talk is stupid and meaningless? Uh, you know, because, you know, the latter two are not my position. My position is that there isn't a God. So it's right. not that there can only be one definition in, in use. The question is, what is the most productive definition um, to to uh, to deploy in these kinds of conversations, and so right. traditionally, theism has been understood as the positive belief that there is a God. Atheism, the positive belief that there isn't, and agnosticism uh, is um, not included under either of those. Agnosticism is the person who is undecided or inconclusive, and a theological non-cognitivist is yet another category who thinks that you know the other three groups are all out to lunch. Um, and then there are people who are, as we as we say, they are innocent. They are who, uh, for instance, infants that cannot formulate the conception of God and cannot cannot contemplate um, uh, the the concept of, of a God or a creator or anything like that. They right. clearly lack a belief, but it's not fair to say they're undecided. So not agnostics, it's, and they're not atheists in my sense, and they're certainly not theological non-cognitivists. So they are in yet another class. So right. that's why I don't like this sort of big tent, very loose uh, definition. It seems to me to subsume too many uh, conflicting um, positions that are completely incompatible. So atheism defined as lack theism, as non-theism, is not a position. It's a suitcase term. 
And so people, I think, on the atheist side, um, people who are online activists, uh, for instance, uh, and involved in the movement atheism, most of them are like me. They think there's no God. They think gods are just BS. Um, and um, and if that's the case, if they think that, as I do, then they should be prepared to um, uh, offer some defense for why they think that's the case. And many of them do. But what they shouldn't do is then, when asked to defend uh, their, their position, pretend that they don't have a position and say, oh, no, no, I don't have a position. My position, I'm, I'm, I'm subsuming it under an umbrella term, which is a set of positions. And consequently, that a set of positions doesn't have a burden of justification because they're all incompatible positions. Right? And right. so I think that it's, it's playing hide the ball um, with your actual position to define yourself that way. If you are an atheist in that sense of merely lacking a belief, you have not answered the question, well, what is your position on the question of God's existence? When I uh, say I'm an atheist, people know what I mean. Um, when a lot of people out there call themselves atheists, uh, and I, I discovered that they mean lack of belief, I haven't a clue what their position is. I don't know if they're atheists in, in the traditional sense, or they're agnostics, or theological non cognists or something else. Uh, and so that's, yeah. that's why I think it's unproductive to use that. Uh, yeah, I've also found all fantastic, um, and and I'm I'm wondering because you you know you mentioned hide the ball. It's not clear exactly what you meant or what they mean. Um, I've also found that when they try to add um, labels to make it more clear what their actual position is, right? Instead of just going to the regular, instead of just saying I'm an atheist and mean that they're an atheist in the classical sense, they have to say I'm an atheist, and you say, okay, well, what do you act? I mean, cool. What does that actually mean? And they say, okay, well, I'm. A you know, you get into the Dawkins scale. I'm I'm a Gnostic atheist. That always has struck me weird too, because if if an atheist just is someone who lacks a belief, then what are you Gnostic about? Well, I, I, Gnostic means that I that I know that God doesn't exist. Okay, do you know that God doesn't exist, and that's what atheism means, or do you know that you lack a belief that God exists? Like the Gnostic doesn't seem a proper adjective if if atheist just means a lack of belief, because it would be modifying. Um, your own cognitive belief, not any actual proposition that for you to know. Yeah, that's right. I actually have a video uh, on my channel where I'm actually quoting Matt Dillahunty, who expresses the very argument that, that you, uh, you stated there. The, the expression agnostic atheist um, is in, in some sense a stupidity. I know what people mean by it. I know what they think mm -hmm. they're trying to say. Uh, but you, you can't use the, the words Gnostic and agnostic as qualifiers on the word atheism uh, because just ask yourself, if you say I'm an atheist, I lack a belief, but I'm agnostic. Uh, well, wait, you're agnostic about your lack of belief? What, you're not yeah. sure? You're undecided about whether you lack belief? No, surely you're, you know, right? So it can't, it can't mean that, right? The only sense in which you can be Gnostic or agnostic about atheism is if by atheism you mean there isn't a God. Yeah. Right. If, if, if so, if, if someone says to me, "Oh, Ozzy, you're an agnostic atheist because you affirm that there isn't a God, but you don't claim to know it for a fact um, that that it's a certitude um, that you can uh, give a, a definitive um, geometric proof of this." Right? Okay. So if that's what you mean by an agnostic atheist, that's fine. But now notice what I'm agnostic about is a certain proposition, and what's the proposition? That there isn't a God. Right. And similarly, if a person were to be a Gnostic atheist, what are they Gnostic about? What is it they purport to know? That the proposition that God exists is true. So right. even the terminology, the, the, the use of Gnostic and agnostic as qualifiers on the term atheism, 
presupposes that the word atheism means that the belief that there isn't a God, right? And so these people right. who uh, who uh, insist that atheism is the lack of belief and that that's the proper definition, the best definition, nobody should be um, you know, invoking uh, a, a traditional definition or a widespread vernacular definition, they should be adopting the definition that atheists in the atheist movement uh, favor. They don't realize that when they are um, uh, conjoining the terms um, gnostic and agnostic to that, that word atheism, they are reverting to the, the, the definition that they themselves repudiate. Uh, so I, I think it's just a, a conceptual mess. And so there's a video on my channel where Matt Delhunty himself um, affirms this and says that no, the, the expression Gnostic atheism and agnostic atheism only makes sense when you understand atheism to be the proposition that God doesn't exist. Um, it doesn't make sense as atheism. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think also um, there there's another problem with making it about this this weird difference between um, knowledge and belief, right? There, there's a con there's a confusion there where they think knowledge is something different than a belief. Um, rather than something like a warranted or justified true belief, and and it always it always uh, kind of strikes me because um, at one level, um, uh, you know, if, you, if you're talking to someone like like Saiten Bruggenkate, who thinks he has Cartesian certainty that God exists, he's going to claim that he has knowledge that God exists. Well, if atheism is defined as simply as the lack of belief, and belief is and, and knowledge isn't a type of belief, then Saiten Bruggenkate would be an atheist because. He can claim to know that God exists. Um, so you actually could have atheists who know that God, they're atheists because they know that God exists, um, which which just seems, a uh, you know, this is the type of confusion I think that, that you and I are getting at is that if you, if you use that kind of lack theism definition, all of these little really bizarre artifacts fall out um, and it just becomes, it not only distracting, but it just becomes not, helpful and add far more confusion. Yeah, well, and it does not clarify your position um, to say that you're agnostic atheist if what you mean by atheist is, is lack theism or non-theism, right? It does make sense to say you're an agnostic atheist if you're using the word agnostic uh, as a qualifier having to do with knowledge on the proposition that there isn't a God. Right. right. So then, then it makes sense. Um, I, but I think it's completely unnecessary. I mean, you know, you could be an atheist, and then if a person says, "Oh, are you saying that you know God exists?" No, I'm not saying I know God exists. Yeah. I'm saying yeah. I have reasons for believing that yeah. I have a warranted yeah. belief or whatever uh, that gods don't exist. Um, and that's as far as you need to go. The, the, there, um, I, I think, really at, at bottom, uh, what's important here um, with respect to which definitions ought to be operative is simply this. You want to impart as much information as you can um, um, with, with a term. And when uh, it's understood, as it is broadly, and it's, it's, this isn't just in philosophical circles or anything like that. I mean, in the vernacular, if you ask a person what's a theist, they'll tell you it's someone who believes in God. And if you ask a person on the street who's not involved in these kinds of questions, um, as a hobby or a you know a philosophical pursuit, you, know, you ask them what's an atheist. I'll say someone who thinks there isn't a god. And if you ask you know them well what's an agnostic, and say well that's someone who's undecided. You know you know, um, and that that's that's if you had a Venn diagram, that's three separate circles. They don't overlap, right? Um, 
and and that's perfectly clear and that's that's a very very simple um terrain to navigate through conceptually when you're trying to figure out what people's views are and so when a person asks me ozzy what's your position on on god's existence i want to use a term that's going to be clear i don't want to be confused with an agnostic and i don't want to be confused with a theological non-cognitivist and i don't want to be confused with someone who's never heard of the term god and doesn't know what you're talking about um Right? And so I use the term atheist in its traditional usage. And that's why I, I, I favor and recommend that traditional usage. Um, one thing that's kind of uh, interesting, uh, just so sociologically you know, interesting in all of this is that um, a lot of people come by their atheism by, uh, you know, they, they tumble out of the religions online. They watch a lot of videos and um, they read blogs and stuff like that. And they, it, it comes to um, shake their uh, religious convictions. A lot of them sort of discover the concept of, of of atheism online, and so they, they come to, I think, with a very skewed view of what atheism is and how it's to be defined. Um, and one thing I've noticed um, is um, people will, in the atheist movement, will often insist that there's only one definition, and that everyone else is getting it wrong. And they, I mean, I've heard Aaron Ra inveigh about how often he has to tell people that they've got the definition of atheism wrong. You know, well, are you sure? Everyone out there has got it wrong, Aaron. I mean, does it make sense to, to say that the majority of people are using the word incorrectly? Maybe you're the one with the idiosyncratic usage. You've got an activist's usage. I understand the motivation for um, adopting that particular mm -hmm. usage um, that you're, you're adopting, but you know, it, it doesn't make sense to insist that everyone else is, uh, is getting it wrong. I mean, it, it's kind of nonsensical to say that everyone is using the word automobile incorrectly. Um, uh, clearly, the, uh, this, this widespread dominant use is going to be at least a correct usage, and it's, it's pointless to insist that, that they're getting it all wrong uh, and that you have to listen to what the atheists say. I don't think that, that feminists get to define the word feminism. I don't think the men's rights uh, movement gets to define um, what uh, the men's rights movement is. I know that's going to seem odd to some people, but if you look at the definition of feminism, one uh, uh, that's com most commonly given, it, it, it's the struggle um, um, for equal rights for men and women. And if you look at the men's rights uh, uh, movement, they have the same definition of their movement, right? So if you listen to, to, to proponents of, of certain activist groups, you'll, you'll end up with incoherencies. It turns out that feminism and the men's rights movement are the same movement because they're, they all purport to be um, uh, operating in advancement of equal rights for men and women. That's not the best definition, um, and they don't own the words. And atheists don't own the word atheism. And I think Christians don't uh, own the word Christianity. Um, I think there's many uh, forms of Christianity, and I don't think any particular uh, Christian group uh, gets to say that somebody else can't be called a Christian. They can say, listen, I don't think you're a proper Christian. You don't believe such and such. And I think to be a proper Christian, you need to believe such and such. But to say that you're not a Christian at all, I think is a mistake. You and I might disagree on that. But, mm -hmm. but as I see it, um, groups um, don't own the, uh, the words that they apply to themselves and that others apply to them. It, language is bigger than that. Nobody owns the language and no one can commandeer it. And so I, I think it's a mistake when my fellow atheists in the uh, online atheist movement try to um, uh, to bring about this semantic shift. Now it could happen, languages evolve, they could win the battle, that would be fine, but if and when that day, day comes, we will have lost rigor and specificity and precision. We will have simply muddied things. And worse than that, B 
because part of the motivation for embracing this non-theist definition of atheism is um, uh, so that you never have to defend your atheism, um, you end up with a group of people out there who think that all you have to do to be a rational atheist is find fault with the other guy's arguments. But never, ever do you have to give reasons why you think that there isn't a God when in your heart of hearts you think that there isn't a God. And I know that I, there will be atheists who will hear this and say, well, what do you mean and you're saying that you know a lot of these atheists like Aaron Ra and Matt Dillahunty and so forth? And Matt Dillahunty is a friend of mine, by the way. Um, we've had some conversations about this. You know, you know how dare you say that, that, that they actually, they positively believe that there isn't a God. Well, they do. I've had conversations with them, and they have told me this, and they have said it themselves on many occasions. They think that, that um, you know, for instance, the Abrahamic gods don't exist, that they're fictions. But a lot of atheists in the online uh, atheist movement will tell you that gods are imaginary, gods are fictions, God, gods aren't real, God, gods are, are made up, right? Every one of those implies that God isn't real, that God is non-existent. So if you're going around saying gods are imaginary, gods are made up, you know, gods are fantasies, uh, gods, God is only a concept, every one of that, every one of those statements is the assertion that gods don't exist. And every one of those is a claim about reality. And so every one of those uh, uh, imparts a burden of justification on the person affirming those things. And it doesn't matter if you don't say it publicly, if that's what you believe, then you're an atheist in the strong sense, and you have a burden of justifying why you think there isn't a God. And I think there are perfectly good reasons for thinking uh, that there isn't a God, and I don't think atheists need to shy away from that. And so I think it, it is actually at this stage hurting the, the atheist movement that so many atheists play hide the ball. Um, I don't think it escapes the notice of most of their uh, theistic counterparts out there that they're they're playing hide the ball and that they're always burden shifting and demanding that theists um, bear a burden of justification. I think most theists recognize that they have a burden of justification and they try sometimes um, not very successfully. Um, <clears throat> but when two people are having a discussion, it's not true that there's only one burden of justification. Um, and actually, I'd like to say something about that, but I, I feel like I've paddled on a long time and probably. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to. Well, I actually I want to transition to this this question of burden in, in just a moment, but. Um, you know, I, I found it uh, interesting. Um, I, I've actually gotten to the point where I've had so many of these discussions um, and I used to try to tiptoe around it and try to, you know, have this conversation with people and say, can't you see some of the problems that I've actually gotten to the point where I just I just tell people flat out. You know, I, I told Eric Murphy in my conversation with him. I've told Matt Dillahunty. If you say you lack of belief, I just don't believe you. Uh, I, I just it's just gotten to the point where you've said so many things you know, if you, if you, if you claim to be godless, like godless, it just seems that you think it's probably the case. I, I don't, I'm not asking you for Cartesian certainty. I'm not going to, how do you know that you know, that you know, that you know, but it just, you clearly have the belief that we probably live in a godless cosmos. It's just, and that's okay. That That's, that's fine. Um, and I've actually, you know, I've, I've had these conversations where, where, you know, I, I agree with you that there's a burden of proof, but I'll, you know, I'll tell my Christian counterparts, you know, our burden of proof is, is, you know, if it's the size from, from here to the moon, the, the burden of proof on, on that type of atheism is, is relatively small. Um, it might be there. Um, 
but it but it's it, it, it's it's not a it's not a very high burden of proof to get there um and that's okay too um but we shouldn't we shouldn't like you were saying we shouldn't allow everyone to just kind of play hide the ball as a rhetorical strategy to jump out and be like oh you know well well you know theists are deluded the god delusion you all are you all are stupid and irrational and you you know you what you believe is dumb and all this kind of stuff but i lack a belief i mean yeah. you're you're at, at that point to, you know you're you're just i, I just i just don't I just don't believe you at that point anymore. You've just you've just kind of sacrificed credibility um, and, and 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 rationality at that point. Yeah, well, that that's the concern that I have too. Um, when I said that, I think it, it sort of doesn't redound to the to the credit of atheists. Uh, they're not they're not they're not fooling anybody on the other side of the fence when they say that they merely lack a belief. Um, when every other sentence betrays um, the fact that they think that gods are BS, right? So like I gave those examples, you know, God is imaginary, God is made up, God is just a concept, you know, uh, belief in God is delusional. Uh, look, I mean, if you think belief in God is delusional, <laughs> it's, it can only be delusional if there isn't a God. If there's a God <laughs> and, and, right. and, and, and the person believes in a God, then it's not gonna be a delusion. Presumably. So even the idea of the God delusion um, is, is actually uh, affirming that there isn't a God. Um, yeah, I think I think also um, <clears throat> you know th this is a type of strategy that that I think inherently they they know that they wouldn't allow from the other side, right? If I if if I as a as a theist started doing this and started saying, oh, theism, it's not the it's not the affirmation of the existence of God. It's it's just the present the kind of the autobiographical presence of belief. I just possess a belief in God. I'm not actually making a claim. It's just trivially true. Um, you know, I, I don't actually get in evolution discussions, but they're, they're typical. If their typical interlocutor was like, well, evolution is stupid and irrational and you, you know, evolution tards or, you know, you're just, you're just anti whatever. Uh, or, or, you know, well, it could just be the, you know, the selecting spaghetti monster that's doing it. Like, isn't it even possible that that's the case as if those types of things are somehow defeaters. And when the evolutionist comes and says, okay, but here's all this evidence, here's all these arguments, this is why I think we have warrant and reason to believe this. And the theist says, okay, but, you know, it, again, it could be the selecting spaghetti monster, right? Uh, you know, I, I have, I, you have, you have all these different things that have to explain evolution. I just, ha I just have one, my, my explanation is simple. Those types of strategies, when, when the atheist comes back and says, okay, but you need to, you need to defend your claim, Mr. Anti-evolutionist. If I say, well, I, no, I don't, I just, I'm just lacking a belief. I'm just, I'm just pointing out flaws in yours. I don't have a burden of. They wouldn't allow that against them um, as, as a meaningful or reasonable strategy. Yeah, I mean, imagine I went if I went around saying, uh, you know, I, I'm not persuaded that the Holocaust happened, or if I said something like, I, I'm, I, I, I'm simply not persuaded by, you know, arguments that men and women are equal. You know, people would say, well, Ozzy, well, wait a minute, like. You know, I mean, surely you're, you're aware of some of this evidence and some of the reasons why people believe these things. I, I'm, I'm shocked that, you know, you, you hold this view. Why? And if I said, oh, no, 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 no. I, you know, I don't have any kind of uh, epistemic duty to myself or anybody else to, to defend why um, I, I, I'm so skeptical about this, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, I mean, I guess this will sort of can uh, move us into, into, into two points here. One is that you discredit yourself um, as a, 
as a reasonable epistemic agent when you do this, at least on that subject, you, you, you look ridiculous. You, you, you look dishonest. You look like you're playing hide the ball. You look like you're burden shifting. Um, and, um, you know, on the most charitable re reading, you look like someone who hasn't got a clue what it means to um, incur a burden of justification and under what conditions you incur a burden of justification. Um, you incur a burden of justification uh, 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 based on all of your doxastic states, what you believe and what you think is false and what you think is dubious. You have to have reasons, not just for what you think is true, but for what you think is false. You need reasons for doubt, even grounds for doubt. And, and I mean, I, I've been sort of trying to, I've been banging on about this for a few years within the skeptical movement, trying to get people to sort of stop using the word doubt like it's some sacred virtue. Uh, uh, doubt is a feeling. Certainty is a feeling. The fact that you feel certain about something is not itself a reason to think that the, what you believe or what you're certain about is true. Certainty is just a feeling. It's a degree of conviction. It sort of bubbles up. Uh, okay. Same thing with doubt. If you if you tell me something and it strikes me as false, you know, maybe it just clashes with something that exists in my belief set. It strikes me as manifestly false. If you say the Holocaust never happened, well, that strikes me as manifestly false. Um, um, uh, I immediately experience doubt. It's not an accomplishment on my part to feel doubt. It is not a, a skill that I need to develop. Doubt bubbles up helplessly, okay? Doubt is just the feeling you feel when something strikes you as false. Just like the feeling of confidence or conviction or, or certainty bubbles up when, you're, um, when, when you feel confident that something is true. It, 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 is not a, it is not a virtue, an intellectual or epistemological virtue to be celebrated, right? Skepticism isn't about doubting. Uh, I mean, there's lots of people out there that doubt all kinds of crazy things. There, there, there are people out there, you know, doubting whether or not the coronavirus is real or some kind of government hoax. There, there's people that, that, that believe that moon landings are a hoax and that the earth is flat and that the theory of, of, of around earth is um, uh, is a hoax. Right? Those people are filled with doubts. They're doubting like mad, right? But you can have unwarranted doubts, right? If you if you if you doubt if you believe too much, you'll be a credulous fool. And if you doubt without warrant, you will be a a doubting fool. Um, so the fact that something strikes you as dubious, surely there's a reason why something strikes you as dubious. Namely, well, it might clash with something I believe. I have reason to think those things are true. If those things are true, what you're telling me now has to be false. There, I've discharged my burden of justification. I just to start discharge why I have these doubts. It's not hard to discharge the burden of justification for one's atheism. Similarly, I think that, uh, as you said, I, the burden of, of justifying why you think it's dubious that there, there is there is a God, or not use, you know, but why one well, yeah. I feel that way, um, is. Um, I mean, there's all, there's all kinds of reasons, and, and if you press a person, they will almost always tell you. And so this is what I think is kind of hilarious. You know, I've talked with a lot of prominent atheists in, in the atheist movement, and they will, in, in one breath, tell me that uh, uh, atheism doesn't have a burden of justification, requires no, no justification, and then if you press them on it, if you ask them, you know, why they think it's all made up, they'll tell you. And there they are, <laughs> discharging their burden of justification which is to say that they're confused about when justification is required. They think it's right. only required when you affirm the existence of something, not when you say that something doesn't exist or when you doubt that something exists or when you doubt the, um, the, um, the veracity of a proposition, right? Um, so you just need reasons to, 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 to warrant 
whatever degree of belief or disbelief or, or dubiousness that you're experiencing. That's it. I mean, it's not, it's not complicated, right? Um, but people, I think, discredit themselves um, as uh, reliable authorities on the, on the subject of skepticism and atheism when they fall under the spell of this lackiest definition uh, because uh, uh, part of the motivation for embracing that definition is this burden shifting, this, 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 uh, this escape hatch so that you don't have to um, defend yourself. But all that shows is that you don't understand under what circumstances a person incurs a justificatory burden. And, and you don't even need another person in the room. Like people will say, well, why do I have to justify my, my atheism to you? Well, you don't, you don't need me in the room, right? You just need a reason for yourself. You, you wanna think of yourself as a rational agent. You need reasons for why you think gods are BS. Presumably you have some. Um, and uh, well, those are your reasons. And those are the ones that you ought to um, uh, express to people when you're asked why you're an atheist, right? You shouldn't just say, no, 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 no. You just have to tell me why you're a theist and I can get, I get to shoot down those, those arguments. Um, it, it, it does not sort of conduce to, um, to your repu uh, reputation as a, as a reliable um, and intelligent epistemic agent if you, if you play the game this way. Um, so that's a concern I have. I, I think that we, we uh, are discrediting ourselves in, in, in the movement by favoring this definition and specifically favoring this definition because it, it gives people the wrong idea about the burden of justification. And that's why I said at the outset, the reason I, I, I care about this, this um, definition of atheism question at all um, is not because I don't think that there can't be two definitions operative, there certainly can be. Uh, it's, it, it's because that one confuses people um, right. and, and, and uh, the other does not. Uh, and, that's that's the concern that I have. Right. You had mentioned, and we, you know, I want to get expressly onto burden, and we've been kind of, <clears throat> you know, indirectly addressing it and stating it. Um, you you had you had brought up that burden. It's not it's not in a discussion or even in a debate. It's not that there's such a thing as just one burden, and it's this static thing that just stays on one side making the claim. Right. I normally give the example of kind of the shuttlecock and badminton back going back and forth. Um, we, what what did what did you mean and 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 how would you how would you uh, you know defend that or talk about that to to these these atheists who want to say well you know atheism I just I, I just as a blanket lack of lack of any type of burden yeah okay uh, well let let me say um, something about this idea this analogy you gave of a, like a badminton bird or a tennis ball that goes back and forth over the net um, that the burden shifts from one person to the other in the course of the conversation I think that is actually incorrect as well. So we don't, we don't actually um, agree on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but let me say something uh, prior to that about, about uh, burden of justification. So what I've said so far is that you incur a burden of justification on the basis of what you believe and the degree to which you believe it um, or don't believe it or have doubts about it. That um, uh, establishes what your burden is and, and, and how much of a burden, how heavy your burden is going to be. I think the burden of atheism is actually fairly light. If I don't mind carrying the burden, I think I got shoulders big enough for that. Um, but uh, the difficulty is that um, the word burden of proof is used so often in a legal context. Okay, so when people encounter the expression burden of proof, they talk about, they use a particular expression, they use a particular locution, they say the burden of proof. They'll ask who has the burden, who has the burden of proof, as if in a conversation only one person can have burden of proof. 
Now, the reason people tend to think this way and use that expression is that in court, we have arranged things um, such that uh, we, we don't want to convict people accidentally and prosecute people accidentally, right? So we make sure that one side has the burden and the other side has no burden, right? They just need to shoot holes in the prosecution's case, right? The prosecutors have the burden, the defendant, all they've got to do is, is, is shoot down that, the, um, the, um, the prosecution's case. Okay, so the, the burden is one-sided there, okay? That is not um, the logical burden of proof, though. Um, in, in discourse, it's not true that there is only one person that has the burden uh, of proof. So if you and I are having a discussion about something, let's say we're talking about God, and I think there's no God, and you think that there is a God, or we're talking about politics, and you, know, you think Trump is great, and I think he's a disaster, uh, okay? How many burdens of proof are there in this conversation? And there are as many burdens of proof as there are different positions, right? So if I get into a room with a theist and an agnostic, and I'm the atheist, and there's a theological non-cognitivist in there, we each have different positions. And so we each have our own respective burdens of proof uh, or burdens of justification. I prefer the expression burden of justification because people hear the word proof and they, they wet themselves and they think that they've got to generate a, a geometric proof or something like that, which is ridiculous. And what you're, what you're looking for is a warranted belief, something that rationally supports um, the, the, the truth of the, of the conclusion that you affirm to be true um, or false. Um, and uh, so there isn't a burden that goes back and forth, and there certainly isn't a burden that's only that falls on, on one side. There's no such thing as a, as a default position. I, here's another one that drives me crazy with the atheist movement. It's this idea that there's a default position and non-belief is the default position. Look, I was born not believing a lot of things, okay? It's not an accomplishment and it's not, it's not rational, okay? I mean, the, 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 the very idea that a, that a position can be rational by default. Wait, there's a position that's rational by default. It has no rationale. There's no reasons for it. It's just rational. And that's practically a contradiction in terms to suggest that a default position can never be rational. A default, a default position can be a starting position. It's where you start, right? So I think we all start not believing in God. I don't think we stop, um, start by believing gods don't exist. We, I think we start not by not believing in, in gods in the same way that houseplants and cats don't believe in God and infants don't believe in God. Um, and then at some point you can entertain the, the conception and you form an opinion um, one way or the other or one of many ways. Um, but uh, there's, no, there's, there's no default position that is rational. Uh, that's simply ridiculous. Um, uh, now, the reason I think people are confused about that is they, they think that if to deny that is to imply that you have to treat everything you hear out there as equally credible or equally plausible. Right. They'll say, well, what do I have to start believing in the, you know, the you know, Russell's teapot and stuff like that? No, you don't have to believe any of those things. Right. right? right. It's not it's it, it's not right um, to say um, that you your position on Russell's teapot is, oh, well, I'm just I, I haven't a clue. I mean, if you ask me about Russell's teapot. OK, look, I don't think that there's any evidence of Russell's teapot. That is the, this this um, proverbial teapot that is orbiting you know, the sun somewhere between uh, Earth and uh, and Mars or between Mars and Jupiter or something like that. Okay, so there's a teapot uh, allegedly orbiting. Now, do I have reasons for believing it? No. Um, do I have reasons for thinking that's not true? Yeah, damn straight. There's, <laughs> I can't think of a good reason how uh, a teapot could, get, could have gotten out there. And any natural object that was formed through purely natural processes 
um, out there. It wouldn't be a teapot. It would just be an, an object, an actual artifact that happens to look like, uh, like a human-made uh, artifact and uh, it still wouldn't be a teapot. It would just look like a teapot. But um, uh, so I have actually reasons for thinking that there isn't a teapot. I don't have to be agnostic. I don't have to be on the fence about it, right? I think that there are no teapots out there, okay? Um, it, it's, it's, I, I don't arrive at that, 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 that my skepticism about a teapot out there by default. I have, I have positive reasons for thinking that that doesn't exist. It's not a default. It's simply false to fact to say that, that the reason I am skeptical, skeptical about Russell's teapot uh, out there is uh, some default position. It is not a default position. Um, if it were a default position, it wouldn't even be rational. So a maxim here is that there's there's no rationality without a rationale, and there's no reasonableness without a reason. You either have reasons for what you believe and what you doubt, or you don't. And you're rational and reasonable to the extent that you have such reasons. And you don't need another person in the room. You have, I think, an epistemological responsibility to yourself, if you want to be a rational agent, to be able um, to offer those uh, reasons when you can. And you don't need to do it to another person. If, if you don't think you uh, have a, a discursive obligation to them, that's fine. Uh, but you don't get to go around boasting that your position is rational if you cannot even to yourself muster a reason for your doubts. Um, so no, I, I don't believe in a default position and I certainly don't believe that any position by default has the burden and uh, by default another position um, uh, never has the burden. I think that that's ridiculous. Um, that, uh, with respect to the, the burden shifting back and forth, there are um, certain specific cases where, um, uh, or rather spe specific kinds of circumstances where that can arise. For instance, supposing you and I believe uh, we have held, hold very, very similar views on something, okay? Um, but we, we disagree on one thing, okay? Um, uh, and uh, in the course of such an argument, um, uh, I might not have to defend everything that I'm saying for the purposes of that argument. I, I don't have a discursive burden um, to discharge here because we believe all the same things. But when we get to the, the, the sticking point, okay, well now, right, if I'm the one making a, 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 a certain claim, you'll say, well, wait a minute, Ozzy, why would you, why would you affirm that thing? We don't agree on that. Why would you affirm that, right? right? right. Okay, well, I opened my app. I said that I think so, you know, such and such is the case. I need to justify why. And if I sense incredulity on, on, on your behalf, I can say, well, but why, why do you find this dubious? Why do, you, why do you doubt it? Why do you seem hesitant to accept this, right? And to the extent that you, you do think it's dubious and, and you, you withhold assent, right? You have a, 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 uh, an epistemological duty to yourself and I think a discursive one to me, if you want to be an honest interlocutor to say, well, um, here's why I, I, I think it's probably not right. Um, it's, it has nothing to do with a default position that is somehow neutral um, and escapes burdens of justification. Burdens of justification are incurred by your doxastic states. That is your, your states of belief and disbelief, um, confidence and, and, uh, and the dubiousness uh, that you feel towards something. Right. Yeah. And, and I think um, we probably I, we probably agree more. I, I, I think it's more in those contexts that I that I try to talk about the burden, like the like the badminton where we're, you know, you're you're in a you're you're actually in a debate or a dialogue with someone where someone is is they're making a, a counterclaim to you. And it's like, OK, well, it's now your you you do, you can't just throw out a claim as some type of rejoinder. You, you now have to you, you have burden for that claim. 
or, or, or burden at least to try to show me why I ought think that claim is more reasonable than the claim that I'm currently making, right? So this, the, the reason I bring this up is, you know, I, I've said the flying spaghetti monster a couple of times because it's, it's kind of a, a, you know, one of my, one of my pet peeve examples um, of, of, of any type of objection, because for, for some reason there, there's this, there's this thought among the online atheist community that not only is, is incredulity kind of qua incredulity, it's somehow a defeater, um, as if, as if them just being incredulous or skeptical somehow, you know, should, should show me that I'm being unreasonable. But if, if I come and I say, okay, well, I believe in God because <clears throat> you and I might disagree on if those are good reasons for me to believe uh, or for me to try to convince somebody else to believe, you know, specified complexity, fine tuning, transcendental necessity, right? I mean, there's, there's the objective moral standard, right? I can get it. We're probably going to disagree on those, but, but I, you know, I, th those are things that are, that are, that give warrant to me and the skeptic coming along and saying, Oh, well, uh, you haven't proven that to my standard to convince me. That's not a that's not a defeater. That's not any type of objection. And if you and if they want to present something like, well, you claim it's God, it could be the flying spaghetti monster. Not only do they usually have to redefine that to be basically conceptually identical to God anyway, such that it's not even really an alternative. It's just a different label. In order for that to be some type of defeater you would need to show some substantive reason why I ought to believe that, maybe not believe that it's true, but at least that it's more plausible than the thing that I am, that I'm saying is, is my position anyways. There, there, that is, there's, there's some burden, even if you're not burdening that the flying spaghetti monster is true, there's still some burden to show that this is a good defeater for the position, just throwing it out as a conceptual possibility doesn't do it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, first of all, I mean, when people throw out examples like um, the flying spaghetti monster or Russell's teapot or the invisible pink unicorn and so forth. I mean, I think those are, are actually fine examples for what they're, they're intended to do, uh, which is to say, listen, your position strikes me as completely outlandish uh, and far-fetched. Here's another far-fetched example for you. How does that strike you? Well, okay, you are making a claim. When you advance those examples, you're, 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 you're trying to suggest uh, by way of, of an analogy, by illustrating uh, something that strikes you as equally far-fetched and unreasonable, right? That's not a good approach though, if the person has hit you with a bunch of arguments for why they think a God exists. And then you say, oh, well, I might as well believe in the flying spaghetti monster. Well, uh, wait, are you suggesting that the arguments I, I just adduced for God would be equally supportive of the flying spaghetti monster, and that's ridiculous. You know, um, no, 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 I'm not saying that. Oh, okay, well then, what's your point? So yeah. I think that a lot of people um, uh, they reach for these sort of chestnut uh, examples, these these uh, um, opportunities for ridicule, without fully understanding the point of them. The, the the point is that there's an implicit criticism when you deploy these. You're you're implying that that the uh, the God that a person uh, worships is as preposterous and unsupported um, as the flying spaghetti monster. It is a mere posit, right? It's just a bare possibility um, with uh, no argument behind it, right? Um, and, but if you're going to do that, you then have to show that the other person's arguments, you have to divest those arguments that they're, they're putting forward and saying, see, 
what you're putting forward is nothing more than a bare possibility. It's no more plausible than this thing. Just as there's no good argument for this. I mean, I could confect terrible arguments for the flying spaghetti monster, right? Uh, and if I think that your arguments for God's existence are terrible, then I could say, well, see, here's the analogy, right? Um, there's just terrible arguments for both of these um, uh, these examples. So I think that those examples have a, a have a place, but they tend to be uh, overused and people um, often don't understand what the point of them is. They just use them as opportunities for, um, for scorn. Um, and I think I, that's a mistake because, you know, you're not going to persuade another person who genuinely thinks that they have got some legitimate reasons for believing in a God. Uh, you're not going to convince them that those arguments are no good by invoking the invisible, invisible pink unicorn or the flying spaghetti monster or Russell's teapot. Um, because by hypothesis, those um, hypothetical objects have no arguments in support of them, right? And so you're asking them um, to, 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 to reconsider whether um, their, their, um, their God is as unwarranted as these objects that, that, you're, that you're citing. But clearly they don't think that because they have, they're putting forward reasons. I think part of all of this uh, is motivated on the atheistic side. Just sort of let me sort of um, step back and sort of defend my fellow atheists here. So many of us on the atheist side of the fence here are are tired of of hearing a person say, um, like "If you're going to call into um, question my God, you have the burden of proof because most people believe in God. So you're in some kind of minority, and somehow being in a minority imposes some special right. burden of proof, which I think is ridiculous." Uh, I, how many people are on your side is, is irrelevant, right? But that is a common fallacious argument, right? Um, um, or there's the imputation that if you uh, think that there isn't a God, that the only way you could ever be rational in, in believing that there's no God is if you could prove, if you could absolutely demonstrate um, irrefutably that there isn't a God, right? And so a lot of atheists are like weary, like for goodness sakes, like, you know, like, no, that can't be the burden of, of, of justification for atheism, that you have to do that. Um, uh, nobody can meet that that burden for life. I mean, I couldn't prove the Batmobile doesn't exist. You know, um, I couldn't prove you know that Godzilla doesn't exist, right? I mean, uh, if I have to prove it to it like a mathematical certainty, right? Um, that's not going to work, right? So, I think a lot of atheists get exasperated uh, by that, and and a lot of theists will will themselves do this burden shifting move. They will say to to an atheist, "I don't have to prove there's a god." You're the one with the minority viewpoint. Um, uh, you're the one um, who uh, uh, thinks that there isn't a God, so has to prove there isn't a God. You know, I may have to prove that there's a God, but you have to prove that there isn't a God, right? And that's just that too is misunderstanding the burden of, of justification from the theist side. And so, you know, there is this weird um, reaction on on the part of atheists to say, "Oh no, I'm just going to, I'm not going to let this burden shift happen." But I think there has been an overreaction on the part of atheists. So now, now they're doing a, a burden shifting move of their own. They're pay, playing hide the ball with what their own position is, pretending that they don't actually think that there isn't a God when half the words coming out of their mouth betray that they do think that there isn't a God. And then insisting that because of how they have defined atheism as an umbrella term, that it, because it's not an umbrella term isn't, a, isn't the name of, uh, isn't a specific position, that they can't have a burden of justification because only a position has a burden of justification, only a, yeah. only an actual belief, right? Uh, a suitcase term can't have a justification for it. Um, 
And so I think it will uh, trick themselves, but I, I think it is it, it arose rather organically. Um, it, it wasn't sort of a premeditated or calculated move uh, within movement atheism to do this. I think it, it arose as a kind of uh, reaction and it has become sedimented and is ossified in the movement as a kind of overreaction now. And now it's reflexive. Uh, a lot of people, it's just their go-to. They just automatically say, you know, I, I, I just don't believe, as if their incredulity was a defeater. Right, as if their incredulity even undermines or undercuts. Um, listen, if I give you a proof of why one plus one is equal to two, and you tell me, oh, I don't believe it. Well, that doesn't shake my conviction, and you haven't shown me that you have a reason to doubt that one plus one is equal to if I've given you a mathematical proof. I mean, if I've given you a mathematical proof of something, or a geometric proof of some, you know, in, in geometry or something like that, and it so happens that you don't believe it, your incredulity is not a counter-argument. Your incredulity is what necessitates a counter-argument on your part, right? So if you want to say, I'm incredulous, I, I'm doubting it, I'm just being skeptical, you need to defend that. Surely there are reasons why doubts are bubbling up in you uh, when that happens. That's all you've got to do is show that, those, that, 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 that doubt, that incredulity is warranted. Um, and if you can't think of any, then maybe you ought to recalibrate things and maybe you shouldn't be quite so dubious about it. Right, right. Quite, so, quite so dogmatic about it. Uh, I, I think um, there there was a paper by uh, an atheist philosopher, uh, Jeffrey Nall, back in 2006. I can't remember the exact title. It's something like the irrationalism of fundamentalistic atheism. Um, and one of the things that's really interesting about it, and, and I've... I've kind of experienced, admittedly, anecdotally, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited. There's a there's a couple of people who are finally doing some sociological work on atheism in America, um, which I think will be really interesting. But I found that a lot of times, again, not necessarily, there are people like you who have come out of uh, of, uh, of religious backgrounds, um, very strong. I mean, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses tend to be a very strong religious background. Um, yeah. I don't know what yours was specifically, but it, it, it's yeah. not kind of a, a liberal... <laughs> you know, kind of watered down religious uh, with with low conviction. Um, it, it what a lot of times what I find is is that the the atheists are uh, you you said that it's a, it's an overreaction against. I think sometimes it's almost it's almost um, falling back on what was the learned behavior in their own religious background. Um, they a lot of times I think fundamentalist kind of anti intellectual Christians just become fundamentalist kind of anti-intellectualist atheists to a degree where, uh, you know, you see this come up in when we're talking about, for example, um, what what something in the Bible means. Whether you're talking to a, a very kind of hyper young earth creationist or whether you're talking to a very kind of, uh, you know, online infidel type atheist, they both kind of have this, well, context, like, it, you know, scholarly source. No, it's just me and my Bible alone in the garden. And that's, that's all that I need. Like, you know, it's just kind of this hyper perspicuity and they both share it. Um, they, you know, it, there, there are lots of examples of this that I've kind of encountered. And, and I, and I was just interested as you said that it's, it's an overreaction. And I wonder to what degree it might actually just be, well, they kind of came from this background where they're in their churches and they're in their, in their background experience the argument was, well, <laughs> you all, you atheists are, you know, you're under 2%. You know, the majority of people have believed in this. It's on you to, to prove it. 
I don't have a burden to now, you know, trying to defend their position by saying, okay, well, guess what? You guys are the people who are in the minority when it comes to science and all this kind of stuff. You have a burden now to, it just, there seems a lot of mirroring in, in the way they think about burden and, and justification and academia and, and, and to the point where, I mean, going back to the very beginning of this, in some of the threads that we're on, people are saying, why are you wasting your time with definitions? And it's just, a, it's just pointless. It's a waste of time. And I'm like, that's literally the prolegomena of every single, like defining your terms is one of the most important starting things that you can do. You're kind of expressing this. I mean, anti-intellectualism is probably too harsh. It's not quite, I don't think it's quite that developed as a, as a thing, but this kind of anti-academic practice, anti, you know, it's just, you're, they're reflecting a very similar mindset as, as what I also experience when I'm talking to a lot of young earth creationists. Uh, that's been my experience. Uh, certainly I have, I mean, I've been banging on about sort of definition of atheism for a long time. And I, I have to say, I have not had a lot of success in getting people to appreciate what's, what's germane. It certainly isn't that there's only one definition and, and that's it. I, I think that yeah. there are better definitions and worse definitions. Um, and for purposes of the, of, of conversations within the great debate, I think the traditional usage is the better usage. Uh, this is the better definition. Um, and the reason for that is um, it, it, uh, it clarifies um, the, the landscape of positions. Um, it, it makes it more clear, whereas one I think is obfuscational. Uh, the non-theist, uh, lactheist um, definition or usage is obfuscational. Um, and uh, and it, the lactheist view uh, leads people to, to have really when you think about them, fairly obviously incorrect views about the the notion of burden of justification and uh, and uh, burden of proof or burden of evidence, however you want to term it. Um, so uh, that's why it, uh, I, I think that there's a problem. Um, but I've certainly seen this mirroring that, that you're talking about. Uh, let me, if I can indulge in a little bit of you know autobiography. When I mm. when I tumbled out of my faith, um, you know, it, it was painful. It was very difficult. Um, uh, you know, when you're sort of a a, a serious um, devotee of a religion, um, it, it's, it is literally painful, like psychologically very, very painful. And there's a terrible period of equilibrium. And one of the things that happens along the way is you are fighting to hang in there. You're clinging to your, your, your dogmas, you're clinging to your traditions and your, and, and your values. And um, you're, 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 you're out of balance and you start to confect arguments, you start to reach for arguments out of desperation to, to shore up um, your, your belief that is sort of crumbling beneath you. And um, at some point it crumbles and you look back with a certain measure of embarrassment and shame that you were engaged in a lot of rationalization and dishonest apologetics for, for your belief. This happens with people with when they shift political positions too. It's not just with religion. I think it's more acute in religion because religion, I think, um, informs more of our lives, our moral lives, and our values in general than um, than a, a lot of other subjects. Um, but politics is another one that comes close. Um, but it's painful and it's embarrassing. Um, and one of the things that happens um, to people when they fall out of out of their religion, and so I think this is true of a lot of uh, sort of newly minted atheists, uh, not not people who were never reared in religion, and 
who've always thought that God was is nonsense, but people who who have come to believe that, that gods don't exist, and they they start to resent the fact that people were trying to keep them in the religion, um, and they start to remember what it's like to defend their religiosity from the standpoint of themselves when they were last religious. And I know that when I was trying to defend my religious convictions on the way out, that um, I was arguing in bad faith. I was kidding other people. I was kidding myself. Um, I was sometimes uh, lying to myself and lying to other people. I was trying to shore up and rationalize something that in my heart of hearts I, I, I knew was, was wrong. I was um, just not offering uh, arguments and defenses in good faith. And I think a lot of atheists um, and agnostics um, and, and even people who leave one religion for another religion, this happens to them, they look back upon um, their, their, their apologetics as an act of bad faith. And then they, they project that onto everybody else out there. And so they imagine that every apologist is acting in bad faith. They believe that every sincere devotee of a religion is lying to them. You'll hear this constantly, right? Aaron Ra cannot talk about the religious people as having false beliefs. No, they're not just merely in error, you know? No, no, they're lying, they're telling lies. Well, look, look, there are people who tell lies. There are apologists who tell lies, I think, who are, you know, practicing apologetics in, in bad faith. But I don't think that's the majority of them. Um, but I think that that's what happens. There's a kind of projection where people remember what it was like when they were tumbling out of their faith and they think, you know what, I think everyone is, is doing that to some degree. Um, and they come to resent the religious. They don't just come to dislike um, their former religion. They come to dislike the religious. Um, religiosity itself and the religious um, uh, become uh, opponents. And that's why I think a lot of people are um, stridently anti-theistic. Anti and I don't mean anti-theistic in that they're just opposed to religion um, and, and that they think it's bad, but they, a lot of people are anti-theist. So not in the Christopher Hitchens sense. Christopher Hitchens was very respectful of religious people, even though he despised religion. But there's a lot of anti-theists out there who um, are anti-theists in the sense that they hate the religious. And so, there, yeah, there's some some mirroring. And, and there's a, another thing that sort of affects this burden of proof thing. And that is, in the among religious people, a lot of religious people tend to look at atheists and imagine that they, because they are godless, they have to be uh, immoral or amoral, or at least their their worldview commits them um, to uh, a, a, a moral vacuum, um, and and so they think less of them. Um, so a lot of religious people think that you know we live in the kingdom of morality and values that can be grounded, and you atheists don't. And a, and a lot of atheists have a kind of a, a mirror of that where they think we atheists because we divested of ourselves, divested ourselves of our religious beliefs, we live in the kingdom of reason. You know, I, I tumbled out of my re religion and oh, suddenly I've got a PhD in critical thinking. That's what a lot of atheists think, right? And so I've said for years, look, just because you've, you've shed your religion does not mean that you are, you are suddenly a good critical thinker. You may, ha may have come to recognize that something you used to believe was BS and you look back on it now and see that it's obviously BS. And that's my, how, it, how, how it strikes you now. But it doesn't mean that you're a better critical thinker. I mean, there's a lot of people who simply they don't know any any critical thinking. They don't know any logic, formal or informal. They they, they can't they can't get fallacies straight when they when they accuse people of, of having committed fallacies. I've seen it happen to you uh, fairly recently. I think someone accused you of committing an ad hominem uh, fallacy, and <laughs> it wasn't. 
Um, not even close. Yeah. No, you were you were more or less straight up insulting, <laughs> which is not an insult is not an ad hominem. Some ad hominems are insults, but not all insults are ad hominems. Um, and and in fact, you can even commit an ad hominem using a compliment, um, such as "You're much too smart to believe that." Um, that kind of thing that can be used as an ad hominem argument. Um, so. Um, uh, I, I think that there's, there's some mirroring going on there, and I think sociologically that 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 can would be there to be discovered. So if there's some good sociological work uh, being done on that, I, I I think that that that's going to be just waiting to be found there. I, that would be my prediction. It was certainly true of me, so maybe I'm just overgeneralizing, but it seems to me I, I see this a lot out there. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm I belong to a lot of atheist uh, groups on Facebook. When Google Plus was a thing, I was a part of a lot of atheist. Um, uh, G plus groups, uh, and I just used to see a lot of this um, fairly naked and negative uh, anti-theism, um, and the, 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 the a smug sense that we live in the kingdom of reason um, because we saw that through this BS, um, and therefore those are just stupid that people that you know the, the, those are the sheeple, <laughs> worthy enlightened ones, and I think that that's false. Just as I think it's false that religious people live in the kingdom of of morality and values um, because they project onto uh, atheism a kind of moral uh, vacuum because they they think that a god is absolutely required and they I think it's failure of imagination on their part to to imagine um, how values and morality function in a in a godless worldview. Right. I know right. We'll, you and I will disagree on that point specifically. I'm sure, but <laughs> um, probably not as much as as you might think. But uh, I I think uh, I think at this time we, we've been going for about almost an hour and fifteen. So. Uh, time to wrap up. We haven't really got any questions, but uh, I wanted to thank you, Ozzy, for for coming on. I've really appreciated it. Um, definitely would would love to have you uh, have you back. So, uh, if uh, if anyone listening wants to to find you, do you want to give your the 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 YouTube handle again uh, or any other ways to to reach you? Uh, sure. The easiest way to um, to, um, to to find my channel is just look for Ozymandias Ramses the second. If you can see my name here um, in the in the stream, that's what you just type into YouTube or Google, and you'll um, You'll find my videos there. You'll find my channel there. Um, I also have a Facebook page, same name, Ozymandias Ramses II. You can follow me or friend me on, on Facebook. Um, and um, yeah, that's that's it. I, I don't I don't do lots of social media. I don't do Twitter or anything like that. So those, those are the two. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again for for joining. Uh, and uh, we will be back with uh, the Freed Thinker podcast vlog uh, again soon. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much.